Welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast, where we explore the spirituality of the Christian child using the method of catechesis of the Good Shepherd. I am your host, Carrie Mackey Lozano. Today, we are starting a series of episodes where we are going to cover different chapters from Sophia Cavaletti's book, The Religious Potential of the Child. Throughout our two years of the podcast, we have covered different chapters of this book. And so we have a new page on the website where you can find what podcast episodes correspond with what chapters in this book and actually in a few different books that we have in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. And this is to aid in your own personal study or maybe a book study with some of your friends that you can use these episodes to enhance your book study. So we have the religious potential of the child for the three to six-year-old. We also have the religious potential of the child for the six to 12-year-old, ways to nurture the relationship with God, joyful journey, life in the vine, and a few others. So go check out that page. We hope that you will make this summer's book study religious potential of the child. So for the next few episodes, we're going to be covering some of the chapters we have not yet covered. See our show notes if you need to get yourself a copy of the third edition of The Religious Potential of the Child by Sophia Cavalletti. Please consider purchasing your copy of The Religious Potential of the Child directly from our e-store. Your purchase has a purpose. Ruth Ohm Sutherland joins us on the podcast today to dive into Chapter 4 of Religious Potential of the Child. It is called Christ, the Good Shepherd, and the Eucharist. Good Shepherd Sunday is just around the corner on May 8th, so I hope that this helps in your preparation for that celebration as well. Ruth speaks about the connection between the Bible and the liturgy and the beauty of the sacrament of gift and so much more. I really hope you enjoy. Ruth, welcome to the Good Shepherd and the Child podcast. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. I'm so glad that you have joined us. Would you tell us a little bit about yourself and your involvement in Catechesis of the Good Shepherd? I became involved in the CGS in 2009. And um, it was at a time when my own son, Dominic, was about four years old and my mother and I were starting to look around for something for him, a catechesis for him, but we're pretty dissatisfied um, with what we had found. And my mother was the one who found the CGS. Um, at the time I w- was living in the Bay Area and she found the CGS in an Episcopalian church in San Francisco and went to go look at it and saw how good it was and then was um, trying to interest me in it. And at the time um, I was teaching at the seminary and was so busy with my own work and preparing lectures and whatnot and was not really paying much attention. And she was trying to involve me or trying to hook me really. And we'd go to like Salvation Army or St. Vincent de Paul. And she'd say, I'm looking for this like miniature chalice and this little (laughs) plate. I'd be like, what? What? (laughs) Okay. Well, I find something. What about this? She's no, no, it's not right. And It was more almost an annoyance for me because I wanted to get back home and work. Um, And it wasn't working. And so she actually got my interest when she said, 
we have these things called album pages and um, she can't type very well. She uses two fingers to type. And she said, if I dictate them to you, will you type it for me? And I was like, sure, no problem. So we sat down and what she had begun with dictation was the enunciation. Hmm. And so I'm typing and I'm hearing what she's writing in the moments of the presentation. And it absolutely took my breath away. And I thought, wait a minute, what is this? I've never heard the enunciation described in this way. In all my years of schooling, no one has ever taught. What is it? What are you doing out there anyway? (laughs) And that's how she got me hooked. And so we both got trained and we helped um, two young women who were the um, DREs over in St. Dominic's in San Francisco to start their first atrium. And the rest is proverbial history. (laughs) <laughs> I love that you were hooked by album pages. Yes. Which is like <laughs> not the usual. <laughs> uh, not the it's backwards. It's usually right. like that's like, yeah, you have to do album pages, but you know, it's so beautiful. You, the album pages what hooked you. <laughs> yep. It hooked me because it was so profound and so simple. I wasn't even thinking about that this was being offered to three-year-olds, that that wasn't even in my head. It was simply how scripture, a passage in scripture, which I knew so well and had studied and read all the important authors and commentaries and whatnot on, but nobody talked about it in that way. That was so Mm. incisive, so spiritual, and just cut right down to the core. And that, that, that threw me literally off my seat. I stopped typing and I, you know, paid attention. What are you doing? And I need to get involved. And ever since then, it was really just a love story for me with Mm. coming to hear how scripture was being announced. And I was, as with many catechists or every catechist, I hope in training that it has that profound effect on you first that you have to, you know, you have to hear the scripture announcements and you have to take them in and allow them to become yours before you even can think about offering them to the children. Mm -hmm. And it really did that for me. It completely transformed my pedagogy at the seminary. It transformed my interaction with my son Um, it transformed my prayer life. It just, I came back, I came out of it and still do with any training, a a different person in a way, or a new person with a new or a new, a reminder again of who we are in God's eyes. Sure. Sure. I think so many of us can relate to that, that it's, it was very transformative of who we are and, and yeah, how, how we feel like God is looking at us. Yeah. So Ruth, we're going to dive into chapter four of religious potential of the child. And this is such a perfect chapter for right now because we're about to celebrate Good Shepherd Sunday. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's just perfect timing once again. Would you speak into the connection between the Bible and the liturgy as we get started? As Sophia says that in right in the opening of Mm -hmm. chapter four, that there is this Bible that we read and the liturgy that we live. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is the simplest, not not an oversimplification, but it is the simplest and the um, most basic way to understand the connection. In the scriptures, we read about this creation of this 
being called human and the life of this human in relationship with God, the creation of a people, Israel, who help to bring even more and more intensive relationship with God and have their wanderings, their spiritual wanderings and their physical wanderings, but always in this framework of God initiating towards the people, towards his human creation and the human creation being offered an opportunity to respond to that. So it's Mm -hmm. that gift and response, the covenant that Sophia talks about. The liturgy is an activation of that relationship. You know, even the word, the Greek word liturgos means work, but it doesn't mean work in the sense of toil, sweat of the brow, you know, like what we might read about in the fall. But it means work in the sense of taking something that is given to us and using our hands and our mind and our soul to offer something back again. Mm. So in the liturgy, it's a work that human, just like in the, the prayer, the work of human hands that is brought to the altar to mm-hmm. be transformed even more into the body and blood of Christ. But the liturgy is that place where this relationship with God is expressed that we help to express that relationship by what we bring back in terms of what we physically offer back to God, our prayers that we offer back to God, our thanksgiving, our song, our entire body in the space of that church. It is what I would call, like what I said, the, this activation of that relationship coming from us. Mm-hmm. being offered by God, but then coming back from us to him. Mm-hmm. So the Bible shows us that this kind of work, this be this offering back to God, this giving back to God after he has initiated the giving to us is happens from the very beginning. It mm-hmm. happens in each of the covenant moments, you know, certainly with Abraham and then with Isaac and later with Moses and David, and then culminating in Christ. But throughout, there's always the humans who who are recognizing as individuals, but also as a people, as a community, recognizing what has been given and then bringing it back again. And it takes mm-hmm. lots of different forms, that giving back. We have a highly, if you will, ritualized form in the liturgy, in the mass or any of the liturgies. It's a highly mm-hmm. ritualized moment where it is like that relationship is infused and injected with this interplay of the human and the divine in they're almost like catalysts for one another culminating in that moment where we encounter him and he encounters us giving back so you can't you can't separate the two it is the bible gives us these examples of how it's been done since the beginning of human's time Mm-hmm. and how it culminates in how we practice it today. Mm-hmm. The The Bible shows us all of these, the relationship that we have with God, and then the liturgy is how we live out today, that relationship. I, it's beautiful. It's beautiful whenever you really start diving into the depth in which that mm-hmm. that is, mm-hmm. um, how deep that really is, the, the living out of that relationship. You were quoting it earlier on page 49. I think Sophia's 
what she says here is so profound. There does not exist a Bible that we read in the liturgy that we live. Mm -hmm. There is the Bible that we live with the whole of our life, and especially so in the liturgy. Right. The former without the latter is deprived of its most intense moments of life. The latter without the former would be based on a void. Mm-hmm. So the the liturgy is a high point, I would say, in all of our life, in all yeah. of our giving back to God. It is a moment where we as individuals in receiving the Eucharist or you know, receiving the waters of baptism or receiving the Holy Spirit and confirmation it's that moment where we as individuals participate, but also as a community, we participate. But that participation doesn't end with the liturgy. It's it's outside mm. the doors of the church, too. Mm-hmm. It, we are in a constant position of God giving to us and us responding. The right. liturgy is a culmination of the community celebrating that gift and the mm-hmm. response. And almost like a propelling us out to... Yep live out that covenant relationship beyond the liturgy, beyond the Bible. Yeah. 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 Well, Sophia speaks about the sacrament of gift. Mm -hmm. That's a really unique term. Um, She even speaks about a little bit that most people talk about the sacrament of sacrifice, but she talks about the sacrament of gift. Would you speak about what that means? When she uses that word gift, it's very covenantal language. One way to help understand that is to understand how Sophia talks about covenant as being a gift and a response. Mm-hmm. God's initiative right. in giving the gift and our response to receiving that gift. Mm-hmm. And understanding that God is always the one who gives the gifts. He's a, you know, a gift giver. He showers us with gifts and waits for us to offer a response. That gift shows itself again in an almost electric way in the gift of the Eucharist. And she talks about in the chapter of receiving the sacrament of the gift as understood, particularly with the children in the model of the good shepherd, where the scripture describes and translates how the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And she emphasizes the translation, not of laying down his life for the sheep, but giving his life for the sheep. And that's a very unique way to do it. Most translations put down, lay down his life. And so it, it sounds to the average reader, the lay reader, that he's sacrificing himself. Mm -hmm. But what Sophia, what Sophia highlights in changing that word to gives, and that's not a false change. The, the Greek word is tithemi, and tithemi comes from a verb which means putting or placing something in a certain order or giving towards or literally laying down something in a particular spot. It doesn't mean it has no meaning of sacrifice in it. That's how we as adults, I think, quickly run to it and see lay down his life for his sheep means that he dies. But the word tithemi and then the word that's used for life, psuche, is life life of any being. Anything that is living and breathing is participating in life. So it is the translation really means 
that Jesus as the good shepherd is this living being who is constantly giving himself for his sheep, Mm -hmm. putting his sheep first. It culminates in sacrifice or it culminates in his death and resurrection. It's not Mm -hmm. an end in it though. And that's where the sacrament of gift, that language needs to be understood in terms of that that giving of himself as a gift to us is not the end point of sacrifice. It's a culmination of what he has been doing all along for his sheep, all along for us. So the sacrament of the gift is an expression in the Eucharist of how he gives himself completely and fully, not withholding any of himself back towards greater life. There's always an emphasis on his life and his giving his life rather than on his death. Mm -hmm. And that is for a scripture person in academia, that's a very radical way to think about it because the usual traditional way is to think, ah, he lays down his life. It means he dies. That's not what he's talking about. And you see that again, that same word of laying down is shown later in John's gospel when at the foot washing, when Jesus takes his garment off and then bends down to wash the disciples' feet, the language that's used for taking the garment off isn't a language of undressing, which is usually how taking a garment off elsewhere in scripture is talked about, but rather it's that laying down. And so it's the foot washing is in John's gospel, this moment again, where he is giving himself over completely Mm. to his disciples. And that gets lost in translation, but it's that same, he's not dying at the foot washing. He is offering his life, offering himself in a particular way. And then later, of course, he talks about the disciples should be washing each other's feet and serving one another. That's the language that Sophia picked up on when she says the sacrament of the gift is this constant giving and which in the liturgy we experience in the Eucharist is that he's giving himself every day, every hour, every minute, somewhere in the world, he's offering himself for us for greater life Mm -hmm. in that sacrament of gift. That's so profound because it also changes our response. Yes. Because if Jesus's response is not limited to, or speaking like his giving of his life is not um, exclusively about the moment of his death, it's about the constant giving. Yes. What does that say to us? What does that say is our reflection of that, our response to that? It's not just a giving of our life, this this end of life mentality. Right. It is the constant daily small sacrifice. It's very like St. Teresa of Lisieux kind of mentality of like yes. the small gifts, yes. um, constant daily acts as a missionary kind of attitude. That's profound. That's a, that's a mind shift of how to be a Christian and how to respond to Jesus's constant giving. And it, it's, you know, for us as, as a model, when he invites us, you know, to treat each other in that same way, or when he says at the end of the vine parable that he's asking us to love one another as he has loved us and is calling us his friends, for us reading it to read, okay, so my expectation is, is that I should die for other people. That, that doesn't, that's not tangible for us. 
And so it's a, a misunderstanding of what he's calling us towards. I think the rarest people, other than you know mothers dying for their children, the rarest people are ready to put their life down for their neighbor. Right. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying giving yourself over, attending to in the smallest moments, attending to your neighbor and to those you love and those you don't love. Mm -hmm. That's the giving he's talking about, which again, culminates in his death. But it doesn't have, it doesn't mean that we're expected to culminate in giving and death necessarily. It's rather that, that attentiveness towards how we are with one another, um, according to how he has given himself Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. the, in the small daily ways, I would say. Yeah, that's really beautiful. Well, Ruth, what about this idea of sacrament of gift throughout the mass and also how we share it with the children in the atrium, this back and forth? So I think, especially with the youngest, the first way that we share it is how we are as adults. I think adults in our faith life. The first preparation is ourselves. The children know when to believe you and not to believe you, the young ones, right? They can smell when something is not authentic and they smell it by not responding to it, Mm. right? Their reaction is one of disinterest um, if they can tell that it's not authentically coming from you. So the first way I think that we share with the children this notion of the sacrament of gift is in how we have prepared ourselves spiritually as adults. When we come Mm -hmm. through that door, do we know, do we live that being given the gift and being offered opportunities to respond to him so that we are in relationship? So I think you notice it, you have it with you, you carry it with you into the atrium and that colors and affects everything you do with the children. Mm -hmm. It gives you a freedom to see each child individually and respond to them as this child of God who is also in relationship and you are offering a place for them to respond to that relationship, to grow it and to respond to it in their own three, four, seven, nine-year-old way, however. Right. I think that's of primary importance. Um, Montessori speaks a lot to that of the preparation of the adult. And I that was, for me as a catechist, something that was life-changing because I noticed the difference between giving a, quote, lesson to a child as opposed to really having it being a sharing with the child. Right an enjoyment of that relationship through that announcement where you are really present to those children because you have, you have lived and enjoyed that announcement yourself. Right. Um, or you are enjoying that announcement yourself. Then certainly with those presentations, um, you know, the, the highest and most beautiful one being the good shepherd presentation, we live that sacrament of the gift with them through the Eucharistic presence of the Good Shepherd, that's its most um, obvious way. But it mm-hmm. is there are many indirect things that happen prior to that. You know, as soon even you know with the three year olds and introducing the model altar or introducing the Last Supper, the those are places where 
we hear and live that language of this is the patent. This is that special plate. This is the chalice, that special cup. And then we hear the words, you know, several months later in the Last Supper with the children about how Jesus took that cup and took that bread and said who he was. So that sacrament of gift is already being communicated very indirectly. Mm-hmm. It's like we've, we're, we're planting this language of experience and seeds with the children. And it, again, culminates in the expression of the good shepherd who gives himself to his sheep. Mm-hmm. And then culminating in, again, another climactic moment in acknowledging that we are those sheep to whom he has given himself completely mm-hmm. in this place and in this event called the Eucharist. Mm-hmm. So the sacrament of gift is always there in the atrium. It mm-hmm. finds certain expressions very early on that we as adults might know, but the children come to know it too in a different way by seeing the beauty of the items of the altar or by hearing the announcement of his death and resurrection and those special words that had never been spoken before at this Passover meal, they can live that sacrament of gift even before the Good Shepherd parables presented to them simply by that announcement in scripture and with a catechist who is truly attuned to the deep spirituality of those moments in the catechist themselves, in himself or in herself. Mm-hmm. And how it, it's it's all in how it's presented with the children. And that, that comes from when the adult has really received that announcement themselves of the presentation, even just the simple vocabulary of this is the chalice, this is the mm-hmm. patent. Mm-hmm. This is, you know, these are the candles, hearing the scripture verse early on in the atrium, Jesus said, I am the light of the whole world, that those are heard and lived in the atrium with the children well before Eucharistic presence is even given to them and offered to them. So it's, it's constantly there just in an undertone, but the children, by the time they're at the Eucharistic presence, they know it already because they've heard these announcements so much earlier and they've lived that in the atrium time, in their work and response time in the atrium. So it's it's almost like a deepening of something that they already know mm-hmm. when that presentation is offered um, much, you know, several years later than if they started in three years old in the atrium. Right. What you said about the first step is the preparation of the catechist is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately because I imagine what it was like to work with Sophia and these children that had these profound experiences. And I think so many catechists today feel, why why are the kids today not having these same type of experiences that you re- read about in Religious Potential of the Child? And so I've been sitting and praying with that a lot lately, and I've come back to what you just said, that I think one of the bigger differences is us as the catechist. Yes. And what position are we? Are we yes. really taking that moment of like, wonder and awe and take and having that first encounter with ourselves with that scripture with that moment with the chalice with the vestments with any of it having that encounter ourselves alongside the child so that we're like wow 
Mm-hmm. Wow. Along with them. Um, I truly believe that that's one of the best places for us to start in order for us to have that, be able to start seeing that gift and response, that sacrament of gift, that constant. And it's, it's really beautiful because it's like, it's like you can start seeing it everywhere. Like what you were saying of it's, it's, it's all over the atrium. It's all over the mass. It's all over, you know, you walk out the door and you see that God gave us the gift of this beautiful sky and we respond to it. So this, this idea of the sacrament of gift um, can almost be once you, fine tune like your ability to look for it you can see it everywhere so you can see it in all the different presentations like the gift of the the beautiful altar pieces and or in the good shepherd and the gift of he calls us by name and we respond by following him or you know you can or in the mass you know we have the gift of the first reading and we respond with the psalm and Mm -hmm. it, it goes through the whole mass this beautiful gift and response that happens once it's pointed out to you, you can start seeing the sacrament of gift everywhere. Yes, it is everywhere. I mean, it's in, in, I think one of the places that adults see it most easily because we don't have the eyes of the children. We have to work to have the eyes of a three and four year old. So for adults, I think it's much more explicit for us in the history of the gifts material. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's a way that it's understandable to our adult minds most easily, mm-hmm. but it's richest really with those young ones who almost don't have that reasoning mind to cloud practically the experience of that gift and response. They simply are that already. Right. right. It's like, yeah, of course. <laughs> right. Right. We have to work towards them. We have to, Mm -hmm. we have to, as adults work hard to attend and cultivate having the eyes that the young child has. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like you said, that, that opportunity for experiencing the gift, the gifts that God gives us are everywhere around us. If Mm -hmm. we take the time to stop and notice the young child simply lives that Right. Um, and expresses it. For us, we have to work at it. We have to make space and time for it and cultivate right. the eyes to recognize it again. Right. And you see that so much in their prayer, especially the youngest children and how their prayer is naturally a prayer of thanksgiving. It's because they constantly are seeing the gift. Thank you for mommy. Thank you for daddy. Thank you for the atrium. Thank you for the dogs. Thank you for this. Thank you for that. Because they see gift, 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 gift all around them. And you also see it in their response even without words, there, mm-hmm. there is that they have a richness in silence. They have a real ability to contemplate, which is if you're in a hurry in the atrium, ready to get to the next lesson or the next presentation with someone, you can miss it. They have a restfulness and a peacefulness that is also for them the prayer response. And it's, it's moments you know, during a presentation where you can see if you know this particular child in front of you, you know how they walk, you know how they talk, you you understand their body language, you can you can see it in them in a restfulness in their face where there's a serenity or a calmness in their face and just a quiet kind of a sitting engagement with the material. That's prayer for them too. Right. As well as the prayer that's expressed through song or through 
through language. There is the prayer of truly being in that relationship. I find it very enviable many times because it comes so naturally to them and I have to work at it. (laughs) Right. It's true. It's true. There are so many great things in this chapter. We're barely skimming the surface. But before we finish, Ruth, I I was hoping that you would speak into the presentation of the Eucharistic presence and how it kind of evolved for us to have what we have today. So it's my understanding that this was the, the Eucharistic presence was the one that took decades for Mm -hmm. Sophia and Jana to discover with the children that they had tried many different ways to, to give the children opportunity to hear the Eucharistic presence. And once presented with this parable of the shepherd who gives himself completely and that giving himself completely is how we live it in the liturgy, in the liturgy of the Eucharist, that the children had very much a response of, well, of course it was there the whole time, (laughs) that they recognized it and they enjoyed it rather immediately. I mean, that's how I think I understand that they, they saw when they had hit upon a child's need was through the response of the children to work with the material or come back to the material or have that response of serenity and joy. So the two parts of the Eucharistic presentation, the first is that announcement of the good shepherd who calls his sheep to this particular sheepfold Mm-hmm. Um, the sheepfold for this very special meal called the Eucharist, where we are offering this place and time that is given to us where we can, en- where the sheep can encounter, where Jesus really, it's about Jesus, where the Jesus is still giving himself to us today. The first moment of that presentation where we are offering the children this bridge towards the Eucharist, towards Mm -hmm. living out this relationship at the Mass. In that first moment of Eucharistic presence, one presentation, we are inviting the children to see that Jesus calls his sheep to this particular place and this particular time where he gives himself completely to us. And that's, that's at the altar. And that's where we yeah. have there then the second sheepfold or this, I'm sorry, the second um, green disc laid out with um, the quote, like carpet, like covering the green covering or felt and lay put out the altar with the cloth or the table with the cloth and the chalice mm-hmm. of the patent. Um, with the bread on it and help the children. They already know this. So it's almost like you're guiding them to something they already know. Right. Right. So it's not really guiding anymore. It's almost like isolating for them to be able to yeah, pay attention to it. It's, it's, yeah, it is isolating this moment that Jesus gives himself completely to us in this most particular way that we see at the mass in the Eucharist, that the good shepherd is there, but he's not there as a statue. He's not there as an image. His presence is there with us Mm -hmm. on the altar. 
And then in that second moment of Eucharistic presence, we simply exchange the sheep for actual people figures. And that concretizes who right. we are. It's, it just concretizes that moment of who we are at the mass and right. how he is with us there at the mass. It's such a seamless a seamless thread from the relationship between the sheep and the good shepherd to the good shepherd giving his life on the altar in the form of the Eucharist and we as the sheep. It's just so seamless and beautiful. And it's so simple. Yeah. It's so utterly simple that it's mm -hmm. arresting. And when you, when you, I remember the first time being given that presentation in our training and it was like that moment of hearing the Annunciation mm -hmm. when my mother was reading to me the moments of the presentation where it takes your breath away because right. it's right there in front of you. It's been there. He says it in the parable. Right. And it's expressed for us there. It's, it's so incisively truthful and simple. Right. That you almost don't know what to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. I um, Almost every formation I've been a part of, you can hear all the adults go, oh. <laughs> right, right, right. And it, it, it's, you know, the Eucharist is this highest point for us in the liturgy. But he's still doing it. There are all these other places in John where he is making very similar statements that we live out in the liturgy. Mm -hmm. Right. When Jesus says, I am the light of the whole world during the festival of lights, when Jesus says, I am the living water during the um, last day of the festival, the tabernacles at the temple where they pour out the water over the temple stairs. Or when Jesus says in, in chapter six, I am the bread of life. I mean, he's he's giving to us all these places that for us are part of the liturgy that we come back to in places of the liturgy. The Eucharist is the most regular one. That's the right. one that's available. Baptism is only available to us once, confirmation. But we see in that gospel how Jesus is so simply saying these statements. I am, I am this, I am that. And that's how he shows who he is for us and how mm -hmm. we live it then in these particular liturgies. I mean, mm. the highest moments in the liturgies, but of course in the daily life as well. Right. And then the children, again, with Eucharistic presence, the children understand, they know that almost already. It's mm -hmm. almost as if you're only giving them words and a picture to something that's inside of them mm -hmm. that affirm, it simply affirms the experience there. They've already been having in the atrium mm -hmm. with the announcements of scripture. They're very clear. The young ones are so clear on he is there with me. He is there mm -hmm. for me. He wants to be with me. I mean, we hear that in the parable of the found sheep when the children are offered this point of meditation. Who could be happier? The sheep that was found, mm -hmm. the shepherd who found them. And hands down, every time they are so clear, it's the shepherd who's happier. Or, you know, the children, you know, I've seen this numerous times in my own atrium where the children who work with the model altar and draw Jesus on the crucifix smiling. Mm -hmm. That is uniquely CGS in allowing right. that child to 
have a place to express that relationship they already know is there, that deep friendship and companionship they have. Right. In the Eucharistic presence, they are given almost a formal of expression of that relationship through the celebration of the Eucharist. But the right. relationship's been there from the beginning for them. Right. So it is simply giving them, not simply, but it is giving them an opportunity to see how this relationship is continues to be expressed through the people of the church. And it's another form of how he gives himself to us that we can, that we have access to with Holy Communion anytime that we want. It's, it's surprising how much, well, it shouldn't be so surprising, but it, to me, it always is surprising how much they understand and how much they know. And it's me, the adult, who has to come back and relearn it again through mm-hmm. things that they say or, or mm-hmm. observing them in, with the materials or in their own contemplation. Right. Right. To become like children. Yep. Yeah. Sophia speaks about um, a time when the, the bishop came in the atrium and the children are making all these synthesis in this chapter. She's telling the story. And um, it's exactly what you're saying, how well the children are like, oh, yeah. And, you know, Jesus is giving it himself yes. to us now in the Eucharist. And, oh, yeah, we're the sheep. And, oh, yeah. And the bishop's just sitting there all shocked that these yes. children are, are yep. able to cut right to the heart, just like you did at the very beginning of your CGS journey and with the Annunciation just cuts right to the heart. Yep. So essential and beautiful. Yeah. Well, thank you, Ruth. I really appreciate you joining with us today thank and you. sharing your wisdom. I've enjoyed it very much. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ruth. She is full of so much beautiful knowledge. There was so much in this chapter that we just did not have time to touch, but there was one quote that I wanted to share with you. It's from page 65 of the third edition. Sophia says, the catechist who seeks security in academic controls is looking for security in the wrong place. Are we really sure that our work is done well when the child answers all of our questions? Very often to prompt a reply may be the sign that what has been communicated has stayed on the surface that the child has repeated mechanically what he has heard without any personal participation. A personal response is to be sought within the depths of oneself. This requires time. On the crest of the wave, there may be resplendent colors, but what matters is what's happening in the currents below, and there we cannot and should not enter. The Catechist Husband is one of our benefactor members. He has beautifully made handcrafted materials for the Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. He would like to wish everyone a happy Easter and hopes everyone had a good Lent in Easter. And to not forget that it is time to start looking towards the summer and to remind everybody that supply chain issues are impacting everyone. To please give your vendors and local craftsmen as much notice as possible for next year. Don't wait until the end of the summer to order your materials for next atrium year. If you would like to find out more about the Catechist Husband and see his beautifully handcrafted materials, we have a link in our show notes to his website. This podcast is sponsored by the United States Association of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. 
We would like to thank all the contributing members because you are making this podcast possible. If you would like to know more about Catechesis of the Good Shepherd or to become a member, please go to cgsusa.org. Thank you all for listening. We will see you in two weeks. Go and fall more deeply in love with God.